Welcome to the Loved Called Gifted podcast. This is your place to come for musings about spirituality, identity and purpose. I'm your host, Catherine Cowell. I'm delighted to be joined for this episode by Katie Moritz. So thank you ever so much for joining me, Katie. You are most welcome. Where are you now talking from? I'm in a little place called Parkgate. It's between Portsmouth, Fairham and Southampton and it used to be a place where they grew strawberries. And what do you get up to? Well, I am currently studying, um, which takes up most of my week. I'm studying at CMS College and Church Mission Society. And the title is Lay Pioneer Ministry. But the general idea is finding ways to do church outside of the old boring, dusty church and listening to communities, um, which kind of informs lots of the work I do with women and community. So that is most of my time writing essays and going to seminars. I should just say, this is quite important to me, on Fridays, I always have the day off because my husband is a is a priest and we do ministry. So Friday is my Sabbath and that is as much part of my week as anything else, really. And then I also have a business called Joy Factory. So I do branding. I help people with branding and marketing. I have a women's network within that called Breakthrough. And I'm an artist and I have a little boy called Isaac who's six. And yeah, do gardening, go on roller coasters, stuff like that. Fantastic. And if you look at our podcast, then our gorgeous heart logo is one of Katie's, all of our branding you did, which has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for that. It's been amazing, actually, how much of a difference it's made to me to have the branding and the stuff which kind of goes along with that sort of brand identity. It's interesting because it's given us a lot of a lot of courage, actually, which is which is fascinating. I love that. Like my mission is to bring women into more freedom and I've realized that I can do that through my joy factory work by free literally freeing up your time Catherine and making you feel more confident my clients I've seen most of my clients have been women just that they feel more excited about doing their own marketing and they feel more alive about their businesses um, and it literally frees them up time so they don't feel they have to do scheduling and all this crap because they know what they need to do they know who their customers are it means they get more time to rest that's really cool. And it, it's interesting because because it, it did feel when we when we were working together, that whole sense of of call that you have around that branding work was really evident. And your encouragement to help us to think about, well, what is it that you're wanting to do and why are you doing it? And how do we create something that reflects who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it? And as you can guess, that all kind of resonates a lot both with what Love Call Gifted is about and and with what I'm passionate about as a person. So there was a real sense of connection there. And the thing which made me want to have this conversation in particular was that one of the things that we talk about on the Love Call Gifted course is how we can tap into our calling and our life purpose. And there are lots and lots of different ways of helping people to think about that and helping them to find the clues that help them to think about what is it that I am really drawn towards? What am I called to do? And one of the less obvious things, actually, is to think about the things that make us angry. And that's not not always helpful. We get cross about all sorts of things for all sorts of different reasons. But something, sometimes something makes us angry because it's actually touching on our values or connecting with the desire for change or for justice in a particular area. 
And actually, that can be a sign that we've got something to contribute to the world, that there's energy within us that could be a catalyst for change. And we had a conversation a few weeks ago about your desire to support women and how some of the energy and drive from, for that has been sparked by getting really angry about some of the things that you've been learning about women in history. Yeah. And it struck me that there's probably quite a lot in your story and about that topic, which is worth exploring um and actually i'd be really really interested to find out a bit about what it was that you were learning about women in history and what that sparked for you wow okay so the module was church history and that seemed fairly innocuous i did not see it coming really the rage that i felt but i spent five six weeks just absolutely furious in the lectures just wandering around my neighborhood just feeling cross and so i bit of backstory, my women's network breakthrough. I created that about 10 years ago when I started my business joy factory, because I was so sick of going networking and having all these mansplaining people telling me about my business and talking over me and thrusting their business cards in my face. And I just thought I can't handle this. And so that sort of rage that we as women feel every day, all the time, I thought, you know, I want to do something with this that's positive. So breakthrough was my way of dealing with that rage, I suppose. And through the stuff that I was learning on this module, I thought, well, what can I do with this? I feel so angry. And it kind of strengthened my resolve and helped me really kind of form this calling that God has on my life about helping women into more freedom in brackets in Jesus. Uh, if I post this on LinkedIn later, oh, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, so what? Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so it it made it, I took that rage again. I thought, right, what am I going to do with this rage? We've been learning about capitalism and colonialism, and that was some of the stuff that I learned in that module. And I didn't, I wanted it to be about freedom. And in the past modules, we've been learning about like listening to your community and finding out what they need. And there are a lot of mums um, in my context who sort of felt like they were stuck in the 1950s, even though we we're in 2020 something, because they were bringing up their kids. They put their jobs on a shelf um, their husbands were working at home in covid and they were just sort of stuck there and through listening to them i thought right what can i do to bring them into more freedom what i was going to ask you was do you want to tell us a bit about what you learned on yes. your on your course yes so so what did i learn we we started from the very beginning like you know the desert mothers and fathers mothers and fathers and we we had this amazing um lecturer um andrea campanale and i think she was part of what set off my rage because she's a woman and she's an amazing woman she does sacred spaces and so she framed church history as a woman teaching it to us and we had different voices we had um, an African voice um, and that's what CMS is all about stopping it being theology taught from a western perspective it's about other voices so I think maybe just the, the very first moment it was framed I saw it differently because of the way Andrea presented it and she encouraged us to get angry I started to get across the stuff in history about the inquisition you know women having to hide you know either being married off at 14 and then dying or you know, getting burnt at the stake for sharing what they felt about God or working or speaking. <laughs> so, and that set me off down this path of learning about the Beguines, which I can talk about a bit later. But then I was also really angry about, well, not just, it was a kind of double-edged sword of the way women were treated, but also the way the new world was treated and the, the arrogance of the patriarchy and the papal see and stuff going around the world and just taking stuff over. Um, so, but it's the same thing of human power and domination that 
that suppresses women and people of color, isn't it? I saw that connection between my breakthrough and these women. They took what they could. Like I have this saying about going sideways when some white old man blocks me. Uh, yeah, I go sideways. I go crab. And I think these women in history did that. They took what they could take. And the Beguines were amazing. And they had all of this, you know, persecution. And then you've got like the wars and women working in the factories. And then the men come back and take over the factories and, you know. But I think women are resourceful and I think we have to deal with all of those micro things every day. But we also bring up families and, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman. And yeah, you started off by talking about the desert mothers and fathers. And was there something in that that annoyed you? Oh, the desert mothers and fathers. No, no, because I think they no. were pretty amazing. I was glad that someone highlighted that they were desert mothers because I didn't know that. Yes. But th- that's, they were well, that's, in, that's interesting in itself, isn't it? Yeah. It's oh, yeah. History. History. Yeah, yes. exactly. And that's what was so amazing about Julian of Norwich, um, that, you know, her writing, Revelations of, oh, I can't remember what it's called now. Revelations of Divine Love. Do you want that's to explain who Julian yes. of Norwich is? Yes, yes, I shall. Yeah. So I was making a link between um, me discovering that there were desert mothers and Julian of Norwich, because she was really significant, not just in Christian history, but also in the history of, of everything, really, and of literature. So she was an, an anchoress in the sort of I don't know, 13th century. So she wasn't married. She lived in, off the side of a church. She had a sort of life in isolation, um, but she ministered to people out of her window, which was amazing. Lepers, when you know the abbots and stuff wouldn't touch them, she was ministering out of her window. And she wrote this book about her revelations of God. But at the time, she would have got killed for that, burnt like Margaret Perret, who was a Beguine, um, which was this movement of women who, I can come back to that if you want. Yeah. Um, So her book was so incendiary that all these women for like hundreds of years hid this book and they kind of took it on the road with them and hid it from all of these men that would come and, you know, take it. And history was sort of rewritten in 1920, I think it was, because this um, suffragette lady, she wanted to find it. And there's been this whole mystery for hundreds of years and she managed to find the, the manuscript and transcribe it. And it just changed history, not just theological history or biblical history but history because she was the first i think they say shakespeare was the father of prose and she was the mother of literature or something like she was one of the first writers so it was really significant and i just think it's so amazing that all these nuns just hid this book sounds like a movie like you know smuggling this book around (laughs) keep it away from the monks (laughs) yeah yeah i I guess that changed history and the same for me when i saw those desert mothers right there at the start that changed how I saw that as well. It really interests me that you said that just hearing that there were desert mothers as well as desert fathers kind of meant that you were suddenly seeing the history differently and suddenly seeing that there were women. I'm wondering whether that also shone a bit of a light on just how male-centric the story is that we're told. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. All of these moments, these big changes, they happen every 500 years, apparently. So women were in all of those moments and I just didn't know. And learning about mysticism in particular, like about the Beguines and about um, Teresa of Avila. And I've just done my own piece of study, another module about silence and learning about these amazing women and all of this persecution. And then what really annoys me is they did amazing stuff and then the men took the credit for it. It's like that story, you know, that story, I often quote this story about the little hen um, children's story where she makes cake and she asks all the farmyard animals to help her. And they say they're yeah. too busy and they, they haven't got time. And then she makes the cake and then they all want the cake. 
not only do they want the cake, they're going to tell everyone they made the cake. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us. So tell us about the Begins. Who were the Begins? When were the Begins? What did they do? So they were. Um, the first Begin is believed to be Marie of Oigny. And I did this essay. I did this presentation on her because we had to do a hero of pioneering. And she really piqued my interest because we were learning about that period in history, the mendicant period, all the monks and orders and stuff. And it piqued my interest because she basically was 14 when she got married, but she'd grown up um, inspired by sort of the Franciscan order, which was kind of a life of little picture your monk with a bald head sort of thing. He didn't like all of the kind of wealth and riches and kind of bakery of the age. So she got married when she was 14. What piqued my interest about her is she basically convinced her husband that she wanted to have a celibate marriage and she needed to follow her calling. And what really interested me initially about that was about her husband, actually, that he was prepared to let her follow her calling. And I thought, wow, he's an amazing guy. Mm, and it reminds yeah. me of my own husband because I'm out here starting fires about injustice and he doesn't mind, <laughs> 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 which is good. Anyway, I then went on to study her. And so she was the first Beguine and she went on to live in isolation and ministered in the same way that Julian of Norwich did. And she, I believe she died of emancipation because she was just taking the communion wafer, which is interesting in itself because basically not eating was a way that a woman had some agency over her life because Gosh. men were the ones who, you know, ministered the communion and hearing from God for yourself was unheard of as a woman. The other interesting thing about her is that she had this guy, Jack DeVitri, who came to see her. He was a bishop in Paris and he was just completely amazed by her and gave up his whole life to come and be she was his spiritual director she was the first female spiritual director to him mm. um and she had these visions there's a really lovely story um, jack devitri tells because the only reason we know about her is he wrote her vita which is her sort of life story and he was her confessor so he wrote the story about how she was weeping uncontrollably in a in a sort of church setting and then this priest came in or this bishop and said oh stop crying stop being such a emotional whatever and she said, oh, you know, how can you not cry when you encounter God? And then this bishop started crying and weeping um, and he had to wring out his clothes because he cried so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then all these other women basically wanted to come to her um, and then they kind of made a community around her, which became the Beguines and Beguinage. And this was different because they lived in their own housing and they could work to support their ministry. Um, which was different from women who could just be nuns, really. And there was only men who got to go to monasteries. It was too expensive. So this was really revolutionary. And also they lived in the cities next to all the people that were poor and starving. And they also are believed to have been the first, you know, Red Cross. They were the first nurses. They helped. They went on for like 800 years. The last Beguin died about 10 years ago or something. So it's quite extraordinary. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about it. And it was so inspiring. And some of them, you know, Maria Voigny died from emancipation, but a lot of them were killed for their writings, for not being prepared to back down. They called themselves the greater church and Rome the lesser church, which is a little bit <laughs> <laughs> daring. Um, yeah. So where did she live and when did she live? She lived, it was in Belgium. You can actually go yeah. and see Beguinages now. The, the the Red Cross H quarters is an old Beguinage. Um, wow. And when was about the 12th century. That was at the time of the sort of Dark Ages and medieval times, just to place her in history. So before the Reformation, before before Ignatius, before any of that stuff. They were, yeah, yeah, I guess they were so. Yeah. Magical. 
Yeah. So that's why they were pioneers. And, you know, it's a movement that's gone on only just till recently. The last lady has died and you can go and see the Beguinage. And, and it was quite amazing. It was really very different from what was what women had on their as a, an offering that was very different. Yeah. So Jacques de Vitry actually petitioned that they'd be left alone, basically, because they weren't an order. And, you know, Rome and stuff was trying to, was saying that they were, well, the inquisitors were after them, wanting to kill them all, saying that what they were saying was heresy. But Jacques de Vitry fought for them, basically, to about two popes. So, so amazed was he by Marie that he kind of petitioned for them as a man. <laughs> Um, that they would be kind of authorised in the same way that I need to be authorised as a lay minister to get anything done. <laughs> How ironic. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, so they're hugely inspiring. And I can hear yeah. I can hear in what you're saying that there are real parallels between the sorts of things that you are called to now and have been in the past, that kind of radical being alongside each other. And I remember years Very ago, you talking about having people, having people at your house who would be regarded as marginal mm. yeah so there are real parallels i can see i can see why they would be heroes for you yeah <laughs> i've never heard of them and i've told so many people just around the place and actually some church leaders who've never heard of them and you think oh wow okay but then i haven't so i can't judge um but really inspiring for women really inspiring history yes yeah and as you say kind of completely unknown yeah well people have heard mm. of julian Norwich a bit I hadn't but then my general knowledge isn't great but it's so interesting that it completely crosses into the mainstream there's actually a documentary on BBC about Julian of Norwich and that's a secular program you know but that's just so interesting that she's actually a really key person in history for women you know first women's rights really well actually the begins were the first women's rights I would say yeah well you could probably go back further but yeah who who makes these bullet lists I don't know probably a man but anyway um yeah Julian of Norwich is very interesting. She's a bit more kind of household name, isn't she? But she was believed to be a Beguine of, of a kind. But this was in England. But the Beguines were in Belgium. But it spread all around the world. It was a big, big movement. Yeah. Which I knew nothing about. <laughs> yeah, and I knew nothing about them until you just talked about them then. The huge piece of history. And that is one of the things, isn't it, about women in history that very often we just haven't heard of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something I didn't mention, but another thing that inspired me initially when I heard about her was the fact that she worked to support her ministry and that I'm working part time and I see myself as a bit of a tent maker. I, I need to make some money to pay for our holidays as a family. But I, I identified with that, that they worked and they were women and they were seeking God and the, and they could marry as well. That was another thing that was different. Yeah. Um, that, that inspired me. They gave women more choices which we should be allowed to have, really. Yes, yeah, because very often it was the case that if a woman wanted a bit of independence, then the way to get that was to move into the convent. Yeah. Um, kind be of locked completely. up. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh, I couldn't believe it when I saw they have, like, a blooming fence. It's unbelievable. And still now, what is that about? But I think I think it was it was freeing because... The institution of marriage and family and society and the way that women were treated and still are in huge parts yeah. of the world meant that actually if you wanted some autonomy, you needed to move away from all of the blokes. Yeah. And so another another interesting point from a 
contemporary lens is that is Jack Dimitri was a male ally, really. You know, if if you you know that that thing about not just being against something, but actually taking action and actually knowing your privilege—dare I say that word? It's a bit of a loaded word, but still, you know, he was a male ally, Jack Dimitri, as well as her husband. They they used their platform to help Marie, which I think is quite amazing. Yes, yeah, because her story would have been quite different if she hadn't had that support from her husband, which at the time was really radical. And they brought lepers into their home before she went into full isolation. They had all these lepers in their home. I mean, that's quite an ask <laughs> for a husband. <laughs> and they didn't have kids. She wanted a celibate marriage. They didn't have kids. Yeah. So it's quite extraordinary. And she was from a middle class family and she gave all that up. You know, very inspiring person. Although you could you could debate about the fact that she died in the way she did. And some people have tried to lay over an anorexic kind of narrative. But that I think really... Maybe she made a mistake. Maybe she went too far, but she was actually taking, she was claiming her relationship with God from herself to God without a confessor in only taking communion. But I wonder if she meant to go that far. Who knows? You know. Who knows? Who knows? But she did an awful lot in the time that she had. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she absolutely did. Yeah. So what are the parallels that you saw from what you were learning to what's happening now? Oh, women being silenced. Yeah. The solidarity of women. Mm -hmm. There's sort of studies to suggest that women under stress, they collaborate and they work together. And I think the Beguines is a really good example of, of women working together and supporting each other rather than men who just tend to... The article that I read about this said, oh, if you'd had the credit crunch crisis, if it had been women in those banks, they might have just rung each other up and say, what should we do? Let's have lunch. Let's sort it out. But all the men just went, no, let's go under. Let's go under our desks and not share. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I see a lot of camaraderie there, a lot of that kind of the way women are with each other, supporting each other. And Beguines were like the, sort of the first kind of contextual ministry in a way. You know, they were in it was incarnated ministry rather yeah. than just being far apart. And I think churches can often do projects but i see that sacrifice and the fact that they lived alongside people in need rather than just kind of walking on by like the people in the good samaritan story so integrating their their ministry completely into their lives so it's not that yeah. two separate things but that this is who you are and how you live and you have the lepers in your house because why wouldn't you rather than we'll set up a project where the lepers can come here on a Tuesday yeah. between two and yeah. four and we will feed them sandwiches and tell them how to behave. Yeah. It's not just, just integrating everything. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see. And I, again, I'm aware of my privilege, but the risks they took, even in writing, they were taking a massive risk. And I think women, we take a risk, not maybe in, in that way. Well, some women do. I, this is what I mean about my privilege. What risks do I take? Mm -hmm. Probably not enough. But some women are risking their lives, you know, in, in, in the Middle East, the, the, you know, the risks they're taking, making a stand um, for what's right. And because they, you know, the Bookings felt compelled to do so. Um, I suppose there'd probably be a link with persecuted women of faith, wouldn't there? That, that their dedication to God, that they, well, yeah. And people who convert like Muslim women to becoming Christians, I've heard awful stories of people hiding. Yeah, I think they, they took a risk, big risk. The entrepreneurial nature of women, the fact that they made all these towns and just like made it work and had this incredible community rather than like the monasteries that were all just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and people were lining their pockets and getting drunk and, you know, all the poor dying people outside the walls i think they that that was really innovative having a voice 
you know, standing up for what's right. That was very brave. Marguerite Perret, you know, she was one of the Beguines that she was beheaded because she wrote this book. And that was really, really brave to make a stand like that. So what was her book? What was her book? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Sorry. I don't know. Okay, no worries. What I'm noticing from our conversation at this point is that actually when you talk about that rage that you felt for all of those weeks, alongside that is just the inspiring nature of what you were hearing about the women who yeah. you were studying. So there's this this kind of dual anger at the injustice and the silencing and the way that women were treated alongside equally passionately this sense of of just how inspiring they were and just how brave and how innovative and how much they have to teach us that's got lost and got hidden a lot there's sort of both of those things at once isn't there yeah 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 um, and I, I think it's interesting when you were talking about Murray Avoigny's husband and saying, and he didn't mind. And yeah. your husband doesn't mind. I mean, actually, he was he was pretty supportive. But it's interesting, isn't yeah. it, that we still have that kind of well, we need the husband to not mind. Yeah, yeah. like Jacques de Vitry, Marie needed without him, we wouldn't know who she was because he wrote her no. Vita. And yeah, that sucks. But we still have that as women, don't we? I'm afraid. We have to play with it like these games, like putting red lipstick on in a boardroom because men will look at your mouth and you, because it's a sexual thing. I'm afraid that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we play the games. We've got to be cunning. Um, yeah, but you're right. You're absolutely right. The other thing that really struck me was that thing about risk. And there is a bit of a narrative which suggests that men take more risks than women. And what's completely lost in that is the understanding of what risks actually are as a woman through most of history, just getting pregnant. Is yeah, especially the then. Pregnant. Yeah, you're going to yes, die. Absolutely. So the courage that women have needed and the risks that in that are entailed in simply living an ordinary life or stepping out a bit and writing something that people are not going to approve yeah. of, that that courage is is immense. And quite often, yeah. quite often the narrative is that the women are not the ones to take the risks. The men are the brave ones. One of the things that interests me in your journey through this is the fact that you were angry for a while and, and very rageful. And obviously you can't stay in that space. No. And I'm... <laughs> <laughs> take my so... chainsaw and go out onto the road. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> I mean, some people kind of do, don't they? But I suppose, I suppose, what I'm wondering is how you have handled that rage, and what it, what energy that you've derived from that. And this is a different question, but sort of related. Is what were the downsides to being that cross, and what have you needed to do to sort of modify that? Mm, okay. Well, I'm going to draw an analogy from the Beguines, actually, because I believe that they were the ones that wrote "Make Me a Channel of Your Peace." And as an aside, they did the first nativity as well. I just remembered that that came up, bubbled up in my brain. But yeah, so they they wrote that that hymn, and I think that that was really helpful for me to sort of solidify that idea. I think that is how I do my do stuff for God. I just try and channel things. So I channeled all of that energy into something. And so the Beguines idea was that God would just throw flow through them and out for people to bless. And I definitely identify with that. So I guess I channeled that in the same way about kick-ass women and breakthrough, just trying to do something positive with it. So I can't change the patriarchy. I can't change systematic sexism, but I can 
make a dent on it, as I learned from Anna Ruddock yesterday, great lecture about, you know, what impact we make in the world. Um, so I can do what I can do. And um, my one of my mission statements for Joy Factory used to be continue to be a game changer, changing people's minds one person at a time. And I have to believe that. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother getting out of bed because one person is another person is another person. Actually, that person matters to God. So I think I just thought, well, what can I do with what I have? It just helps to get off the treadmill of the algorithm and modern life because it sucks, really. Um, and, you know, capitalism and consumerism all play into the problems that women have and people who are oppressed have. I sort of came up with this analogy that I mentioned earlier about the deconstruction that I I made this little pot in a sort of um, ministry time and it had a lid and sometimes you just got, got to put the lid on it. You can't keep on being an activist and fighting and deconstructing and thinking. Sometimes you just got to put the lid on and uh, if you're me, go to Thought Park. <laughs> um, I thought, what can I do? So some of the things I did, I've just realised where I was going now. We had this seminar on um, rest, which was really interesting. And that gave me the idea to do Restable, which was something that identified that women just don't rest because of capitalism, because of patriarchy and all of this crap. Women, you know, mental load, as in, you know, all the stuff that women have to do as well as their paid jobs. Paid jobs, by the way, you know, women are working all the time it's really hard for people to rest. When I asked people, I said, well, what would you do with 30 minutes if you had some free time? Yeah. Most people said, oh, I'd do some housework. A few people said, I'd go to a cafe by my own and read a book. Um, so I felt really inspired that rest, and there's a quote, and I can't remember who said it, but um, self-care is how you take your power back. So I felt really inspired to do this day of rest to show women yeah. how to rest, give them some time to rest, but also give them some tools to rest. And then I've just started doing this thing, Boundaries Club, because I just want to give women tools to just take back their power, really. Yeah. Take up some space, find some more freedom. Yeah. I had a I had a really interesting conversation with someone a few weeks ago. This conversation started because she realized that she did about two thousand steps in the morning before she oh, even wow. left the house. And my conversation with her was, well, so what are you doing in the morning? And it turned out she was getting up at about six o'clock and doing all sorts of stuff. And at one point, her husband said, well, that's daft. Why are you getting up so early? But the point was that he had no clue about all of the stuff that she was doing to hold their household together. Yep. 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 And, yep. and so he thought that she was being daft, dashing around, when actually he just didn't, he just didn't, he just didn't know what was required. Yeah. Um, but it had not occurred to her that she was doing more than more than her fair share within their household because they both work mm -hmm. they've got they have a child but she was holding it together and there was there was one occasion when i saw her and she'd said she just she just had sort of manic text messages from her husband who had taken their daughter to school and uh, there had been an incident yeah. um, I think she'd fallen over or something or and so his immediate response was to pass on yeah. all of the mental load of that to her yeah so she, yeah. she was fielding all of these text messages about oh what do we do yeah. um the daughter had fallen over and what were they going to do about it and what needed to happen and and I was listening to all of this completely gobsmacked that somebody a good 15 possibly 20 years younger than me who you would have thought would have been a little bit further down the line in terms of no. in terms of emancipation and enlightenment and yet she was holding all of this load and i know that there are studies which show that 
when things become difficult at work, women get overloaded more quickly than blokes. But the reason yeah. for that is that most of them are already doing 30 or 40 hours of fairly hard slog holding things together at home. Yeah. And so the reason that the work stuff hits them quicker is because they are already full. Yeah. Well, I have an answer to this problem for, for you and whoever listens to this. There's a book called Fair Play, which actually recounts what you've just said about the husband phoning the wife um, you know, help me, the kid, you know, where's their lunch, where's this, they've fallen over, um, as an introduction to the book. And it's even the best well-meaning men who might call themselves allies or feminists, their their word will usually be, how can I help? Like they don't know what needs doing. Um, and Fair Play yeah. is a brilliant book. I cannot recommend it highly enough, where basically all of the things that make a life work, whether you've got a kid or not, um, you know, all of the housework, but also going to the dentist, planning the holidays, doing Christmas, dealing with the in-laws, having your own free time, getting your hair cut, going to the dentist, um, saying birds and the bees, everything, all are on cards. And then you dish them out as a couple, but you decide on the standard for each um, thing. And yeah. it's life-changing. I have a really decent husband, but it's helped us um, not least every Sunday, I don't have to have a like an internal struggle about has Mike put the bins out. If he hasn't put the bins out, we're going to have four bins. Oh, well, because <laughs> it's his card. And just that sense of not having to worry about it, that mental load, you know, so I, I it's a brilliant book. And it's fun as well because you have cards and it really does work. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's how do you hand over the task with the responsibility for it? Because so often what happens is that even if a woman is has handed it, handed the thing over, they still maintain kind of a managerial responsibility for it. Exactly. So that's what uh, fair play does. And what's yeah. good, I think you said right at the top of the podcast was about values, um, that the way that the fair play system works is that you decide what matters to you as a family so that will say which cards are in play so for instance yeah. there's a card which is like saturday you know kids parties i don't want to spend every weekend out with a kids party with isaac every saturday so we took that one out of the play and we don't have a cat or a dog so that one's out but you decide mm -hmm. as a family what matters to you and then therefore you know which cards you want and you decide what's the standard so doing the washing includes turning them the right way inside out putting them back in the drawer <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair to myself it also includes when you do the shopping put the shopping bags empty them and put them back in the cupboard katie <clears throat> so, <that's my> <laughs> so it works yes both ways. yes because that, that's the other it, yeah it does but that's the other thing that happens isn't it that um if if that load isn't shared then what happens is that you get a bit of help but then you have to kind of go and clear up after the help yeah. It's like it's like yeah. when you're I'll tell you another real gem from that book, and she called it unicorn time, but I've renamed it to B time. I'll just explain it because it's really interesting. So each person in the couple deserves to have their own time to do things that they love to do. So for me, that's like going to Thought Park, going to gardens, you know, making some jewelry, going to see a play or whatever. Because if if the individual doesn't do the things that they love, the other person won't fancy them anymore because they'll just become a little shell of themselves and they don't do the things that they love. They're not animated by things. You've got nothing to talk about. And so, you know, we need to prioritise our self-care and our sort of essence. Well, not not for the other person, because actually it's both ways. It's men and women or, you know, yeah. same sex, whatever. But we need to maintain what makes us us to have a successful partnership, you know, which I think is really yeah. interesting. Yeah, 
yeah, and and really, really important. And actually, going back to that thing about the fact that women don't rest, once you've got kids, then quite often the priority becomes everybody else. Yeah. And if we go down, the whole family's screwed. Yeah. That's the thing. When I say to people who aren't who aren't very far along this path and they've never heard of boundaries and they don't take any time off, I'll I'll appeal to their, you know, helper side. If you go down, the whole family's screwed. Everyone's gonna go down the pan. And that might appeal to them because they're thinking about others yeah and sometimes that is the thing which gives you the excuse to yeah. to do the self-care i mean there's um because i have um because i have kids with extra needs i i'm in that situation where actually the domestic demands over the years have sometimes been just so enormous that mm-hmm. keeping ahead above water is is really really difficult and it yeah. took me a while and i i remember having a conversation with a friend and she said I said well I'm you know I'm surviving and she looked at me and she said well that's not the point you don't need to be surviving you need to be thriving yeah and that stuck with me because I was very aware of just how far from thriving I was just how foreign that idea felt and and just how ingrained that sense of well I just need to hold everything up for everybody else was within it's rubbish isn't it it's so rubbish um, so this the restable day I did. I I loved it that everyone had a great time and people said, "Oh, it feels like holiday and it's so relaxing." But what I loved the most was hearing people's stories after the day. So I'm not going to say names, but two people came off Facebook. Two people said they were going to get a cleaner, which is amazing. One person said they were going to have date night every week with their husband, and another person said they were going to write a book. So it wasn't just wow. they'd had a nice day, but they'd learned some things and realised some things, and are going to go forward and make change in their everyday life to have more freedom which they should have so yes. that was really amazing and just makes my heart sing really yes yeah and in the special needs world I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about self-care which people often talk to you about need to do self-care yeah. except that if you do a course in parenting they generally slip it in as the last session mm. which yeah. <laughs> I did an otherwise really good course on sort of attachment and parenting and and the self-care is the very last thing. And you kind of think, well, if you are saying that this is what we need to do, then it should be a chunk in every session, that yeah. encouragement, because you stick it at the end, that doesn't really work. But I was yeah. listening to this podcast and um, the presenter was saying that self-care is the wrong word for it. She said, in these contexts where life is very demanding, it's not self-care, it's essential maintenance. Oh, yeah. That's true. And I'll say another thing to that is that I tell people you've got to put it in your diary. It's we you know we put our dentist in the diary and you know business appointments. You have to put your rest in the diary, otherwise yeah. it won't happen. And the way I teach people to do that is to know what their values are, what actually matters, and who do you want to be in the future. So therefore, what needs to go in your diary and what is not going in your diary? Because otherwise everything has a piece of you. But you you know, our diary is like a is a is a sword for a woman. It really is. Oh, I've just got been asked. Um, yes. See, there's there's real life. I've just my lovely husband has just said he's going to make me lunch because we share the food preparation and also tidying up. That evidence is fair play, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. That's great. But yeah, seriously, our diary is a massive tool for a woman. And I have this little thing and some people might get annoyed. I will only put something in my diary when I sat at my desk in front of my laptop with some peace and quiet because people pleasing ends up with our diary being rammed 
but mm. our diary is a massive thing. I have a thing called a joy diary that I now do with Mike, um, where I think about we have a meeting once a month and we have another meeting for like, you know, bills and whatever. But this one is about what do we want to do that brings us joy? And so we look at the seasons and we plan in, we're going to go and see lavender, we're going to go to fireworks, you know, we're going to see this person. And we prioritize that and plan long in advance because otherwise what is life? It's just like, you know, drudge. And if we're Christians, you know, or anyone, we're supposed to have this life that's, you know, abundance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you have to, your diary is a massive weapon. I really do think that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting because we do a kind of open prayer space on a Saturday morning and have a topic and everybody brings their thoughts around it. And we looked at joy this Saturday just gone. And one of the things that really struck me thinking about it beforehand is that joy is listed as the second depictor of the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And a lot of those other things, one would want to put some effort and some thought into developing. You know, people talk a lot about developing patience. Well, if joy comes second, then actually to put some effort into into developing one's capacity for joy and taking time for it is is a spiritual act yeah i think so this is why i love celtic christianity because this i i just i'm increasingly just looking out the window for what i should be doing rather than anywhere else because you know the world is showing us nature is showing us joy all around just look out your window so tracing your tracing your journey then i think what I'm what I'm hearing is that you started off with a passion for women anyway, and this course in church history just kind of reignited that fire, which was which was there anyway. But that you know that real yeah. desire to to encourage women and to help women to find freedom, and yeah. and one of the things that that period of of seeing and being very angry by what you saw has done is that it is it has inspired you to both continue what you were doing but also to help both in your own life you are protesting against those things and those structures which are destructive by finding another way of doing it and you're also creating spaces for women both online and in your gatherings and your festival and all of those things to help women to also see and challenge the stuff which is oppressing them and is getting in the way and helping them to behave in a way that is different. Yeah. And one thing I didn't quite say yet, which I would like to, is that the education part, because you said about what have I done with it? I think Mm -hmm. I I have this little little line that I wrote on one of my seminars about my my mission and it's about help bringing women into freedom but male allies like there's some men you're just not going to reach and there's no point but I will engage with male allies people who are willing to listen um and there's some great guys on my course who I know have been influenced by me being outspoken (laughs) I know I've taught them stuff um but I've got to be so careful um one of my values because I have these 12 becoming values is being a kind activist and advocate and I know that I could, you know, I can go too far, go into my Enneagram eight. There's another bit of jargon, but you know, being being kind of alpha and getting too cross. Um, so I I need to learn to measure myself. But I I think education is is really is something I'm also interested in with men 
um, who want to listen. And I take kind of Jesus' lead that he always invited people and he didn't push it. That's how I live my whole life with my clients, with my friendships, with everything. It's a kind of boundaries thing. But, you know, I'll kind of leave a little stick out there for a, a man who might be an ally or or a woman who might, because, mm-hmm. you know, believe me, there's women who need to hear this stuff and just see if they are interested. And if they are, I'll, I'll talk to them. So I'm, I, you know, someone's, my husband's asked me to preach. I'm going to talk about Advent and rest and not praising capitalism. I haven't quite got it all down, but you know, if someone gives me an opportunity to speak and to educate, I can communicate. So I want to use that, that opportunity as well. I don't really want to get into a slanging match on Twitter, but someone around my house for some food. I think food is a great leveler for education and for sharing. Doing silence has helped me to read people better and to sort of stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> which helps me <laughs> yeah yeah it does strike me actually that there is so much within this that men need to hear for themselves as well as for the women around them because yeah. if you have if you have a relationship where you are taking equal load of what's going on where one person is not becoming a shell of themselves because they're exhausted then actually there's huge joy in that there is huge joy in yeah people being themselves and and you can enjoy one another they get oppressed by the systematic sexism as well they they have these awful stereotypes and you know yeah so i think men suffer from this system as well and where the hell did it come from i don't really know that's too deep really (laughs) (laughs) i don't know where did it come from i don't know know. yeah i've i've often i've often wondered that it's really really interesting to to hear your story and your insights and oh, that journey and what it is that you're doing with it. And I love those stories from your festival of people actually having taken that time, have gone and done something different with their lives. Yeah. So if people wanted to find out about your branding business and the other things that you're doing, where could they find all of that stuff? Ah, well, just go to joyfactory.co.uk. Do you want me to phonetically... Well, it's joy, jump for joy, factory, where they make biscuits, .co.uk. And then yep. on there, you'll find about the branding. There's also breakthrough. Cool. I'm also on Instagram, Katie J. Moritz. Um, but I think that's all on the website anyway. But you can contact me on the website. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great. Thank you ever so much. That's been brilliant. You are most welcome. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Loved Called Gifted podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email lovedcalledgifted at gmail.com. You can find a transcript of this podcast at lovedcalledgifted.com. And that's also the place to go if you're interested in the Loved Called Gifted course, or if you'd like to find out about spiritual direction or coaching. Thank you for listening.